Six years ago, Ellis Hammond's entire mission changed. He was a full-time college pastor with vision and passion, but broke. Now a full-time real estate entrepreneur, Ellis is the founder of Kingdom Real Estate Investors, the number one community for faith-driven leaders impacting the world through real estate investing. If you're a kingdom-minded real estate investor or entrepreneur seeking to advance God's kingdom outside the church walls, welcome to the Kingdom REI podcast, where Ellis interviews Christian entrepreneurs and investors focused on advancing God's kingdom through real estate investing. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome everyone to the Kingdom Real Estate Investor Podcast Show. This is the place I'm so excited for today's episode because we continue to encourage and inspire other kingdom-minded real estate investors that you can use the vehicle of real estate uh, for the glory of God, the good of others, and as we're going to talk about today, maybe even economically prosper yourself. And so excited to jump into this. Cameron, welcome back for another week, man. How are you? Hey, thanks, brother. I am doing good. It's uh, Dallas recently caught a lot of rain, so it's finally cooling off here. My AC finally shut off for the first time since May the other day, which was awesome. So we're good. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I can't complain about our 90-degree weather in San Diego when I look at the heat in Dallas. So Oof, it, uh, It's brutal. <laughs> and then our, our guest is it, uh, Mr. John Marsh. He lives in Alabama. How's it going in Alabama, John? It's it's going outstanding. It's like uh, you know we're 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 in the promised land here. Actually, <laughs> tell yeah. people be a, be aware. Don't don't you might want to not buy a round trip ticket because you're probably going to want to stay if you come here. Okay, okay. I've been to Alabama. Only, I've only driven through Alabama, so it might might be a chance to to come and experience. So, uh, guys, we're in for a special treat. Uh, if you don't know John. I would highly encourage you to to look him up. He's the host of the Redemptification podcast, runs a company also um, called the uh, Marsh Collective. Am I right in saying that, John? That's right. It's a group of a number of different companies all around redemptive purpose. Yeah. And and what I love about his story, guys, and what you're going to hear today, and, and, and John, you shared it so eloquently when I asked you what would be a win today on the show that that you're that you're a beacon of hope, uh, maybe more so of wisdom. You said, but I think I think you're wrong that. But a beacon of hope that uh, we can use real estate for for redemptive purposes, but also uh, to prosper economically as well. And I love that vision. I'm excited for you to get to share uh, that in your story today. But if you don't mind, I just want to start by praying and asking God to give us uh, His wisdom and Spirit today, and we'll jump in. Father in heaven, thank you for just this time with John. Thank you that you saved, uh, you you save us, you call us to yourself through the blood of your son, Jesus. And then God, you 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 send us back into the world to to um, to, to share that with others, to, to show your great love and kindness and hope and mercy and compassion and just love that we get a chance to hear about that in, in John's life today. God, would you inspire, uh, would you encourage us uh, would, would you um, just ignite, fan into flame, uh, maybe the the small faiths that are that are listening, uh, Lord, and and encourage us, God, that we we would continue to live live today, live tomorrow, live the rest of our lives for you in Jesus' name, Amen. So, John, uh, let's let's start kind of high level and, and tell folks a little bit kind of what you're doing today and kind of what is the Marsh Collective, and then we're gonna we're gonna jump back for sure, but just kind of high level, you know who you serve and the purpose of the Marsh Collective. 
So it's a group of us. I mean, I had the privilege of of doing life with my friend and using it uh, to do good and do well, to work at the intersection of purpose and profits and to do things that uh, I like to say that make our Sunday school teacher and our economics teacher happy. I think we do things that people think like charging hell with a squirt bottle. And uh, we say it's 80% sophisticated models and 20% miracles. Can't do nothing for that second part, but get on your knees. But they keep showing up for us. And our prayer is front row seats to miracles. That's what we hope for. And so we steward 12 different places right now, as well as the work we do in our own city. Um, and it's about $2 billion worth of redemptive real estate. Um, a lot going on in a lot of places to take and save small towns from 800 people to 180,000. Um, it's really an amazing opportunity to get to do things that we learned just uh, becoming an overnight success over 25 years of suffering here in 10 square blocks. So my wife and I have loved 10 square blocks for 25 years. We've done over 285 structures started over 60 businesses to help save our city and still continue to love it and um, still continue to do the work. So we show up with the wisdom we've learned, which gives us authority, but we still suffer and try to make it work in our own town, which gives us empathy. So that's the work we do in the world. And then we try to codify this so that hopefully people can take and um, use the recipes we create to create redemptive real estate right where they are, because I believe the next great developers um, could be our next great missionary. So what if we could do good and do well? So for context here, you took a small town, Opelika, Hope you like Hope you like Opelika. How many people are were there and are there now? It's about 30, 32,000, maybe 35,000. Um, we're Twin City. Uh, we're on I-85, about an hour and 20 minutes south of Atlanta Airport, and our neighbors are Auburn University. Mm-hmm. Our little town was a railroad town built in the 1800s, went under martial law twice before 1900 for rebellion. And we were known really for, you know, law offices, the fast two-day divorce and some excellent brothels early in the 1800s. But as we had died out over over um, the 90s when urban renewal came in and they 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 tore down a lot of our buildings. We lost 40-something buildings, and we also lost a lot of uh, the great facade details. And when we came here, it was hopeless. Um, two ladies were, or three ladies, were executed downtown gang-style right in the building, one of the first buildings we bought. So that was uh, where we started, and we think there's beauty in broken things and that there's always a death before there's a resurrection. And so we work in this powerful ground of beauty from brokenness, and that's not just what we do. That's who we are. Dang. Only five minutes and I'm fired up right now. I'm sending HGTV <laughs> to you guys if they ever come asking where's the next best thing. Seriously, man. We, we did, I, I think I think John needs to – I was going to mention that. Like, you, you need a series, man. I, don't, yeah. like, I know you have your podcast. They've come after like, us a number of times. In fact, last time we got all the way down to the wire to sign in the docs, and we told them no, and they said we never had anybody say no this late in the game. And I said, well, I told you I love God and I'm not doing this. Um, I said, the difference in a home run and a foul ball is timing. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying no for now. Huh. And so um, we just. Would they, would they let you be that. really open about your. Fa- was that a, was that a piece, John? I mean, could you meet me and not realize it's full frontal nudity? They knew what they were getting <laughs> into. They somehow thought they may could 
minimize it, but they they were taking on something they didn't have a clue about. Yeah. That's I mean, awesome. <laughs> Full frontal nudity. That was not the picture said, I was wanting there, John, to be honest with you, man. My wife says that. She said, baby, you, you, when you meet people, first thing you do, take all your clothes <laughs> off. Go a little slower. And I said, well, I'm just like, I don't have any. What if you had nothing to hide and nothing to lose? Yeah. What if you could that. live as if you were an idiot that got saved and that the story was really too good to be true? that God loves idiots and wants to do amazing stuff with them. So people won't think it's them. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you, you say that because I want to go back, man. And um, for folks maybe who don't know your story and and have not listened to a lot of your stuff, I want you to take me back to how God did save you and kind of the beginnings of uh, Christ working in your life. I'd love to start there and just understand kind of your redemption story so that we can kind of bring that into the work that uh, that you and your wife are doing today, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, so I grew up in a home. Um, my, my parents had tried for 13 years to have a child, couldn't, adopted me, and 18 months later, my, had, my, uh, had my little brother. So I was super spoiled because she said, I've been sitting here 10 years looking at an empty baby carriage. All I want to be is a mama. And so she told me I could change the world, and I believed her. Up until 13 years old, I obeyed everything my parents said pretty much, and they be on a roll. And for the first time, I stepped across the line and did something I knew was wrong against God and my family, and I started rebelling. And I had sex with a little girl who was 12, rode my bike over to her house, and um, decided to go a different direction than following God. The enemy always tricks us into taking every sin takes you further than you want to go and costs you more than you want to pay. So that got me rebelling. Then I realized that girls and money were really clear whether they accepted you or not and make getting, uh, you know, getting that really changed me. And so I started chasing that. And I was chasing acceptance. I think that's a big thing. By 17 years old, um, I had an agreement with a friend of mine. He wasn't going to try drugs. I wasn't. He tried them. I tried them. And then I became um, really just addicted to to this idea that I could have a six flags from my mind and the problems I had and the sin I felt. The weight of that drove me to a Come here to where I am in Opelika, met my wife. She was 18. I was 19. We got married. She was 20. I was 21. And uh, she didn't know I was a drug addict. She had been really sheltered by our parents. And three years in, we've had a, a son. We're a million and a half dollars in debt. We're running two or three businesses. I was in the automobile business, a salvage, a total uh, building business. We're in the restaurant business. And uh I was a million and a half dollars in debt, $99,000 overdrawn. My wife left me for one of my employees, and I went in the attic of my house to kill myself Mm. as a guy hooked on meth and laid down on an old plywood floor and called out to a God I never knew before. And like lightning struck me. Every hair on my body stood up, and he poured love inside this suit till it couldn't hold no more. And for the first time in my life, love got past the fence. And I got born again right there. Didn't walk an aisle and pray a prayer, but he set me free. And uh, and I didn't quit drugs. They quit me. I went down out of the stairs, see, climbed back down because it was in the attic of my house where I was going to hang myself. And uh, my wife was there. I said, I just got saved. She said, you're a liar. <laughs> I said, well, she said, you've always been a liar. You're going to keep lying. I said, well, you'll see. I said, you'll know if my feet line up with my mouth. I said, I got born again. I met Jesus. And I said, uh, I'm, I've been addicted to all the wrong stuff. I was born addictable. 
but boy, I got addicted to the right thing and I can't get enough. I didn't know this thing existed. And so I thought Jesus was some old dude with sandals, you know, and I thought church was about hot dogs and hot girls, but there's, there's a king of the universe who loves people and he'll come and he'll live inside of you and he'll take everything that's been killing you and your stumbling blocks and turn them into your stepping stones. And he'll take everything you went through and none, not one minute of it will be a waste. Everything you do will be part of where you're going. Everything you go through will be part of where you're going to. Mm. So that's my story. And so God allowed us to work our way out of that debt. We got to zero. We're like, yes, zero. We thought we won the lottery because it took us seven years to get back to zero, not file bankruptcy. And then God's just blessed our dang socks off. We still own close to 200 properties and steward them here in our city. We've got businesses in different verticals and we get to share this wisdom and this story all over the world and we love one city and he gave us 12 so wow it's incredible i mean it's a dream come true and it just keeps getting better and i love that lady of mine everything i've ever dreamed of in a woman i found in her mm. when i close my eyes i don't see nobody naked but her just powerful i'm just gonna say it ellis this may be my favorite episode of the season <laughs> Cameron, I, I hate to tell you this, John. Cameron says that every three episodes. So, I, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> you know what my guys always say? I tell them I'm fired up about this book. They said your last book is always your favorite. Book. Well, this well, is well I'm, I'm excitable. You know, I I like Cameron just because he brings so much enthusiasm to every show, man. Everyone's his favorite, which I love. I, I love. I love. I love. I, I love almost. It. Cameron, I, I'm your favorite, buddy. I like it. You can keep you telling me. Don't worry I, about it. <laughs> I've just had such a great day, man. It's I've had a fantastic day. And then to get on here with you and hear you tell that testimony almost made me cry. It was so powerful. So well, I the got... most powerful thing is now what I'm getting to do. We're re mm. we're turning the world of real estate upside down, saying, hey, money and real estate and capital and construction and all this can be redeemed. It's redeemable. And it can be we do sophisticated real estate development with love. So, man, I wish like, and to Cameron's point, like, I, I really wish we were sitting down. I, there's so many things I want to just even ask, but I want to keep us moving. Um, I, I look forward to the, the opportunity to to sit down in person with your physical job. But I want to ask you to go to that real estate side of things. Now, thank you for being so open and honest about your your testimony. That That is incredibly powerful. To, to move into what you guys are doing at the Marsh Collective, you know, I, I've, I've heard you say a lot about you started with 10 square blocks, which I imagine is just kind of the area in which God has placed you and you live in your, your area or town square. And when well, I and that, the reason for that, my friend, is not just because there was physical boundaries, but because there was something and it, it evolved. I didn't know this. There's a place of our unique gifting and anointing. On one side of the road, it works amazing. The other side, it doesn't. There's a, I'm a steward of a, of a place. I believe God draws lines in the sand all over the Middle East. And for us, and I'm not saying it's always this way, but but he gave us a place to bless and a place of responsibility. So we steward this area. And our goal is to is to bring love. Love is not a squishy word that doesn't alongside money and real estate. It, I mean, if you God, is he is love. It's not what he does. If you cut his finger off, it's a hunk of love. And so love and real estate development looks different, my friend. It looks different in the returns. It, looked, it looks different in the way you shape the property and the way you steward the property. And then in the days that God decides there's a better steward than you, the way you humbly bow out of a property and say, hey, someone's better for this than me. 
because there is a time to sell, there's a time to buy, there's a reason and a season and a lifetime to stuff. So you got to be wise. And so I don't want to breeze over the fact that you can be anointed for an area. I I believe I have supernatural gifts and I'm the most surprised at the stuff we can pull off in these 10 square blocks. And I know it ain't me. We're not this good. So that's what I want to ask you, man, when I read that, and I hope you understand the heart of my question here, because I want you to explain it. When I, when I first read that, my initial reaction is what can God do in, in just 10 square blocks? Like, that was my reaction. And God's so wanna... crazy about little places. I mean, we this whole story starts in Bethlehem. That's a little bitty place. And I, God just told me he'd shake the world out of a little bitty place if we'd be faithful. And so, he, yeah, we're here to turn the world upside down. I have a little Tim Blotts and Opelika because what we're proving is that God's real. I mean, come, I tell them, come look, come and see. Jesus said that a bunch. And if you don't see something better than us here, if you don't see a God-sized thing going on, then just move on. It's just, it's just extractive development. See, developers are seen as predatory, but I believe we can add value just as well as extractive. I think they, that if we operate, God's a developer. He's wise, and he builds like crazy. If you look at the temple, we're going to get there and go, dang, this thing looks like a TBN set. There's a ton of trim in that thing and windows and stuff. He's got it. God is creative about things, and he wants us to bring our creative gifts and co-create with him in real estate, in a place. And when you're like us, you're a somewhere person and not an anywhere person. We're committed. If you do something junky, you're going to live with it. It's easy to hop around and not have to deal with it. But if you're building in your own yard, people are going to hold you to it. Tell me about, so take us, take our audience to Opelika. Like what, okay. what does that look like there? And then of course, I, I want to get into kind of what you're doing and how you're implementing that outside of that, but take me there and like, okay, so put some context to this. So 10 square blocks, man, like, what what did you actually do? And when you say God is on the move there, what does that even actually look like? So we started out the first house we bought to renovate. We didn't have any money. We're broke as could be. And uh, we bought this house owner finance, no money down, no payments for 90 days. And we had a total of $3,300 to put in the renovation. So we put it in there and we said it started junky and it finished junky. But we but we got as far as we could, and even the walls looked like they're great texture, but it was all the roaches underneath the paint job we yeah. did on there. So uh, one of our guys said sometimes that in the beginning, it felt like we were polishing turds. So we started out with no money and no wisdom, and lots of energy. We were working on this thing. We ended up selling it for uh, $15,000 before I had to make a payment on it, more than what we paid for it. So we made fifteen grand, and then we rolled it into everything we've got now. And what we did is we just understood this, that, that if we could be wise about how we dealt with, the, with the, the structures and we honored what was there instead of, you know, decide and understand and be grateful for what is given. Like when we're going to do it and we do residential, commercial, light industrial, mixed use, restaurants, retail bar, you name it, hospitality, hotels, as long as they're in this 10 square blocks, everything is on for us. We're not in one vertical, we're in one place. And we believe this is a complex mixed-use development with fractional ownership. That's how we view historic downtowns. And so we started doing houses and like a lot of times the plaster would be good and the trim would be good, 
and we think, man, we want to insulate it and wire it. So we pull all the siding off, insulate it and wire it from the outside, flip the siding over where it hadn't been painted, put it back on. Well, that ain't normal. But we do stuff that ain't normal because we didn't know we wasn't supposed to. And so we'd be fixing, we've done a ton of houses. I mean, we just did one of my favorite projects we did a couple of years ago is this, we bought 12 houses on both sides of this one street in the most unloved area in our in our town, this neighborhood. And we took, and I, I realized that real estate is an emotional thing. Like we wonder if maybe up to 40% of real estate's value is is emotional. And so we said, well, how do we make people feel something? Because they feel their way to thinking, they don't think their way to feeling. You ask them, is that street or that area growing? They're going to tell you how they feel. So what we did, we said, let's make them feel something. And so we renovated the inside of the house and the back three sides and left the fronts junky as could be. And then in one week, boom, we finished the front of them houses, cut the trees, cleaned it up, did the front, jumped across the street and did the outside three walls that you see. And so it looked like we did 10 in like two weeks. Wow. Man, people went nuts. We get more credit for that than hundreds of other things we did because they felt it. And so Mm, we say build momentum in your projects because momentum makes you look better than you are and no momentum makes you look worse than you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you you gave the people, the community hope because they could see things changing. Right. And that, and that makes a lot of sense. And we also did that without we, our goal in that community in the future. And I got big dreams. I got way more dreams than I got money. And, and my dream is to do, what if we could do 104 houses in 104 weeks in the worst neighborhood in our city and not displace one poor or one elder. What if? And is so that something we dream. Is that something you're working on now? Oh yeah. I'm dreaming it. You got, you know, God showed me when I was an idiot, there's about three things you got to do. It's real kind of simple. He taught it in fishes and loaves. You know, they took a little boy sack lunch and did a lot with it there, a little happy meal. But if you look at this, he did three things he did. He counted, he said, how many fishes and loaves we got? He set them down in groups of 50. He blessed it, he broke it, and he multiplied it, right? So God showed me that if you want to grow something, you measure it, you manage it, and you multiply it. You measure it, you manage it, God brings the multiplication. And so that's something I learned. And so it helped us as we look at a real estate project, we go about it that way. We say, what are we measuring? What are we managing? What are we multiplying? Because we know the fruit of the kingdom is love, light, and multiplication. And so we want to see that. I mean, that's that's returns, that's social capital, that's spiritual capital, that's economic capital. And so when we do a project, we're at, we're measuring those three things, social capital, spiritual capital, and economic capital, and stewarding all three. In the beginning of the show, so as a real estate investor, I'm hearing this. I'm like, what an amazing vision and dream. Okay, but bring me into, you said this makes both the, so you made the Sunday school teacher real happy so far, but the economic teacher is thinking how do you flip any home much less 104 keep everybody in their home and still at, at the very least break even john i'm not even talking about making money right we so, ain't playing to break even that's not my game i tell the people i said listen there's people who want to be who want to have fig trees that don't make figs but i'm not into that and i'm not sure my older brothers into it either we're not into this Fig trees should make figs or they're not a fig tree. They're a bush. So how many people want to do this Christian work and concessionary returns and all this stuff? I think, I think that's, that doesn't make any sense to me at all because it don't have a shelf life. If right. you build something you got to feed, that thing's going to stop getting fed by somebody. 
I want to build stuff that is so good they'll fight over it. Because God builds stuff that makes social, spiritual, and economic capital. That's the way he does things. I mean, it's not like he's short arm like a T-Rex. God's got long arms, and he said, hey, I'll teach you to prosper so that you can establish my covenant. So my thing is, if we do excellent work with all the disciplines that any real estate investor would have, plus we have love and supernatural blessings, man, we can't lose for winning. So to give you an idea, back to the question, um, how there's that specific project is still what we call in the provisional stage. So um, I'm, I'm, how to do it, I think, is we would build 40 plus of those new on lots that are currently vacant, and the rest of them we would renovate, and um, and we would do it in a pretty unique way. Um, our renovations and the way we do it, that's a, our problem. I mean, we've renovated. That's all, that's all we've really done: fixed pricing and guaranteed time frame construction for over 25 years. We stopped doing that for customers probably 10 years ago, but um, we're good at it. I mean, that's I always had to learn and I always had to make it work. I mean, we we're always 30 days from a payment. We didn't take any outside capital and the banks helped teach us, hey, you better get stuff done or they'll come get the keys. So the the, the key to this thing is, um, is, is being able to understand. First, I think I always want people to know who are you? Like, what are you good at? Like we only want, so here, we build this vision filter for everything we do. So the first question we ask ourselves is scope. Is this property within the 10 square block? If it's not, we ain't buying it. We're not confused. Number two, is, does it create human flourishing? That's in the people in this place. Number three is can we create the value and not have to try to extract it? Is it viewed as broken, worthless, or unwanted? I tell people they want to sell me something. I'm like, go put it on the market for a year and nobody offers anything, come talk to them. I don't want anything anybody else wants. I want problems, foundation problems, termite problems, deed problems, environmental problems. Send me the problems. That's that's what we want. Number number three, number four is purpose. Do can we leave with purpose and not simply profits? But does it allow us to work at the intersection of purpose and profits? Number five, return. Can we get a return on our energy and a return on our investment and our Minimum return on investment, cash on cash is 35%. We don't we do not do deals that don't do that. Number six, opportunity. Can we create opportunity for our community through love, dignity, and respect and meaningful work? Number seven, do we have a redemptive approach? Number eight, can we start with a story and not just a structure? And number nine, and the most important to me, is does it align with our 50-year vision for our city? And we have a 50-year vision for our city that what could we do to for the good of our city that would last 50 years and no one be able to undo it? Mm. And so that's how we pick. Now, there's a lot underneath that. I mean, I know there's a thousand questions about how does it mechanically work, and I'm happy to talk about any of those things. But but we we know who we are. We know what we buy. And we don't try to be – I'm not a five-foot-tall guy trying to dunk. I'm doing what we do really good. And Cameron, feel free to jump in here. But I, as I as I'm as I'm thinking about people who are listening to this too, and and you're talking specifically about your ten square block in Opelika, but what has now begun to happen, John? Understanding your story is that people have now come to you, and have said, "Hey, I see what you're doing here. I have a vision similar." Or maybe someone's listening and say, "Hey, you know, I I, I want to see this begin to happen in my own neighborhood or ten square block or whatever." And so. People then now started coming to you and saying, okay, how do we take this and move this into our own city 
store yeah. downtown. So where the northernest city is Alito, Illinois. Southernmost city is Winter Haven, Florida. Westernmost city is Arvada, Colorado. Lots of cities in between. Yeah. Um, the largest port, the largest town is 180,000 people. The smallest is 800. Hmm. The largest portfolio is $200 million. It's about 80 blocks of downtown, a good bit of it. And we've got 500 multifamily units going on scattered sites in the downtown. In that portfolio that we've raised about almost $100 million from 60 locals to pull it off. Wow. So that's the biggest at scale. The smallest is a town of 800 where one patron, we call them, is loving this place and making it grow and a lot in between. A number of our towns are 3,000 to 5,000, and we're making them unique, iconic destinations. So we, our, our niche market is iconic destination diffused hospitality places. Mm -hmm. We can't build things that are not iconic. I can't get you to drive to a town of 5,000 that's dead for a crappy restaurant and a bad night stay. I can't do it. So I've got to have a great iconic restaurant, which is one thing we do in service of these portfolios. Like we're launching restaurants all over the country right now, iconic restaurants. Are they for, iconic though before you guys step in? Are you saying you create the iconic? We create them from, from an empty building. They're not there, my friend. We, we make them. The last two, if you want to look at two of those we did recently is um, in Midland, Texas, uh, Opal's Table. And the other one is uh, um, Pi, P-I Social. The next town we're launching one in, an uh, iconic Italian restaurant, it's going to be fabulous if this thing comes together, is Moment, Illinois, which is about an hour outside of Chicago. We're going to build an iconic restaurant there that's going to be a game changer. It'll, it'll probably do close to $2 million a year in a town of 3500 so my wife's from Midland, Texas, and I know all about Opal's Table, but you know I've never been, never eaten here. So you're it's giving me fabulous, dude. It's gonna blow your socks off. You gotta, you gotta go. John, it's, I grew up. Yeah, place looks like looks like San Diego inside, man. I like that. That's it. That's you wait till you try it. My wife did the design. Our team helped. Um, we built all the systems and everything for that, and launched it. And so. We only launch, like, there's one town we're working in right now where we're doing a boutique hotel. We're doing um, uh, iconic restaurant, overnight, cool overnight stay. So we, this is the tools in our toolbox. I can get you to drive to the worst part of town for good barbecue. And so food moves people. We say, hey, uh, I can't tell you, though, could you come to my little town? Got this amazing food experience. What is it? Ruby Tuesdays. Nobody's going to do that because their goal is to disappoint you at a Rachel stand. Mm -hmm. We've got to build something that, that will make people from one gas tank away drive there. That means it's got to be fabulous. John, I want you to go to my hometown. I'm I, I'm from a town that's 30 minutes north of Midland. It's called La Mesa. Uh, oh. And it's a small little town. Chicken fried steak was invented there. And, oh, uh, it, it, it needs some love. Like I was dating your cousin, but you know, that's, it, you know, you, you only get famous for a few things, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but hey, that's enough, man. We can build a town on chicken fried steak. I mean, okay. the thing we which you miss is things like one of our towns is iconic over rhubarbs, the rhubarb festival. And so we're, things work that way, guys. Um, you know, what we need to do, though, is view small historic downtown as potential destination mini resorts mixed use developments and you can do this and you build 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday business, and you build a platform that's doing a couple million bucks, it's got to have events, overnight stay, and and sophisticated food and beverage. If we got those three, we can build all kinds of stuff on the back of that residential, this, that, and other. That's 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 easy. Yeah. So most of that is, and I love, I see what you're saying there. You're to store downtowns, most of the, the business or economic activity is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday type thing. That's how it starts. Yeah, okay. But but then residential starts filling in and the place starts growing because people want to be around that kind of life. I mean, you think about great resorts, Blackberry Farms, for example, people drive a long way for that fabulous food. Look at the size of Serenby outside of Atlanta. Niagara there started that with a, with a, uh, with a bed and breakfast and seven rooms and a restaurant and grew it to this huge community. So we can grow things around this. Everybody knows this. This is not magical, but it hasn't been systematized and 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 sophisticated in the way it's been aligned like what we've done, only because we've gotten to do it at scale. Again, working in so many cities with so much money and so many problems has made us suffer. I hope you don't mind my direct questions, but I ask these questions so that you can just you can you can teach us so this is my last question i like cameron finish and we'll finish up here today so then my last thing man is like what like what is eternal about this what is eternal about flipping houses creating a restaurant talk to me it's all about the souls of men the word of god and the souls of men it's the only two eternal things and it's all about we invest in places because places are full of people and that's the thing that matters to god God will leave 99 for one, and we're going into places and bringing love and life. I mean, people getting saved and their lives transformed, they don't even know why they like us. They're like, man, we like y'all. What's different about y'all? It's like, if you don't want, people don't want what we got, we got to wonder what we have. Don't be exporting something that ain't good. I mean, people see us do things with love and care and honor and do what we say and go further than we have to, second mile stuff. They go, dang. I said, this is the way Christians act. I said, man, I want some more Christians. I was like, I know, me too. But I don't want crappy stuff with a fish on it. Nobody wants that stuff. So do stuff excellent and so excellent they wonder why you care so much. That's what it's about, that we bring his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're doing good for others. And and in doing that, people love it. Again, I mean, we, we do stuff in such a way that you, if it doesn't look and seem different and seem miraculous and beyond us, then probably it is us. Great perspective. John, I, I got one wrap-up question for you. I got to be honest. If I lived in your town, I'm the kind of guy, I would approach you and ask you to mentor me. And I would ask you if you would just spend time with me once a week over coffee and pour into me with wisdom. So my question is, aside from what you guys are doing and making these amazing impacts and letting God drive life transformation, soul saving through real estate. Are there any other ways specifically where you're at in your town that you love to invest your time that might not have anything at all to do with your business, be it church or are you on city boards or how do you, how do you serve your town if you do in other ways outside of your business? Uh, I mean, honestly, real estate development and this stuff isn't the most important part of my life. It's a piece of my life, and people want to talk about it. But the best thing about I'm leaving the legacy on the hearts of men and not in sticks and bricks. 
I'm loving on people, adding value. I mean, all of our team are guys that I mentored for many years, 12, 15 years, and loved them before we worked together. And now, I mean, this week I'm speaking, me and my wife are speaking Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Next week I fly to Colorado for three days with 23 CEOs to add value to young men. How do you love God and do business? Next week I'm going to, so I'm always talking to people and adding value because God's deal is relationships. And there's two things that we need to learn is love and forgiveness. You got to receive it and give it away. We got so many spiritually constipated people out there that they taking it in, ain't putting it out and they're sick and you got to, you got to get it and give it. And, um, the, 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 our real passion, Ash and I have helped reconcile over 200 broken marriages throughout wow. our um, time because we've got something to give. We can comfort others with the comfort we've been comforted with. So if you want to know probably the most important work we do of all is I've got four marriages right now we're working with that we help them reconcile from brokenness, divorce, and adultery. And so that's got that's going to change their children's children's children. So it's way more important than than real estate amazing that's awesome and very encouraged by all, all you're doing and yeah amazing work good job i say i'm high energy low iq it's a powerful combination my friend amen you can get some stuff going <laughs> as the redemptification podcast redemptification.com or uh the marsh collective what, what's your website there uh for folks marshcollective.com marshcollective.com Hey, so here's a challenge for everyone listening. Uh, you know, take your favorite Alabama and Georgia uh, slogan that you heard today, because there was sure was a lot of them that I really enjoyed. And make sure you take a screenshot of this episode and post this on LinkedIn or Facebook or social, wherever you do social media and let us know what you enjoyed about this show. John, I, I just, I'm grateful for you, man. I love the work you're doing to encourage other real estate investors that that this is an incredible vehicle, man, to bring God's kingdom here on earth and, and to share the name of Jesus. So just grateful for your, your partnership in that, brother. Is there anything else you want to share or uh, point people to before we get out of here today? Well, I'll give them one of my, and my wife said I speak bumper sticker, and I say, I sure do, baby, because they stick. You know, and people want to take stuff that's memorable and portable. So one of the things people like most, I say, is I say, I'm, I'm entrepreneurially promiscuous. I said, I feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony. I just don't know where to start. So if you're incorrigible and excitable, um, there's some real amazing opportunity within serving God and loving people. And so get to it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, everyone listening. We'll see you next week. Hey, just because the show's over doesn't mean the journey is. Listen, if you're a faith-driven real estate professional or investor, then you'll want to go to the kingdom REI.com to learn about our mastermind. If you're interested in investing alongside me in alternative investments like multifamily apartment complexes, then head to ellishammond.com to learn more about that. Cheers.